Welcome to Health System CIO's interview with Todd Bell, Chief Information Security Officer and Executive Director of IT Compliance with Valleywise Health. I'm Anthony Guerra, Founder and Editor-in-Chief. We'll get to our interview in a moment, but first, this brief word from our sponsor. At CrowdStrike, we stop breaches, and it all starts with a tiny endpoint software sensor that works with Windows, Linux, Mac, and mobile, deploying fast with no reboots and no blue screens. We protect nearly 200 healthcare organizations with more joining us every day. Find out more about the power of the crowd at CrowdStrike.com healthcare. Todd, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. Uh, happy, happy to do so. Todd, can you start off by telling us a little bit about your organization and your role? Yeah, so we're an organization just under 5,000 folks, and so we are a uh, major burn center and also behavioral health and also a teaching hospital, and we're in the Phoenix uh, area, and we have uh, uh, ver- uh, locations throughout the Phoenix uh, area. Okay, very good. All right. Uh, One of my favorite uh, starting points here is to find out how everyone wound up where they are now. So how did you wind up being the chief information security officer of Valley Whites Health? What's your sort of career path that got you here? It it was a little bit by accident. A 115 degree day, (laughs) unpacking a U-Haul and a really upset wife. (laughs) And, And how this started off with is in my last job, I just relocated. And just as we're unpacking the U-Haul, we relocated from Colorado to Scottsdale, Arizona. And the CEO called me up and they did about a 70% uh, furlough reduction. And so just as we were unpacking, we found out about the news. And so that's when I had to get my butt in order and start calling around. And so coincidentally, uh, I already knew about ValleyWise Health and had some contacts and knew about the position being open. And that's how I ended up becoming the CISO for ValleyWise Health. So I got to ask, when you got that call, was it an okay I got this. I can handle this. Or was it an, oh, my God, I cannot believe what just happened? You should have seen the look on my wife's face. <laughs> she wanted to kill me. <laughs> I love her. She she uh, still stuck with me. And we made it to our 25th anniversary. So Congratulations. Was- <laughs> Congratulations. So it um, was a state of shock. <laughs> so I see this is your first your first job in healthcare. Is that correct? Uh, you know, I've been in healthcare uh, from more of an advisory and consulting perspective, but it's always been on the back end. And this is the first time I've really been on the clinical side of the house. And mm-hmm. so this is where, you know, I have a lot of room for improvement to learn about how a hospital really works, because as you can imagine, uh, you know, COVID has just been such an interesting experience, but I've been very fortunate to be a cybersecurity person and being on the front lines of vaccination efforts to being in our morgue, to being in the COVID units and actually seeing COVID firsthand. And so I'm learning so much from a clinical side because there's so much to know. Yeah. So people who come into healthcare, um, well, healthcare is often thought of as being quite a bit behind other industries. Some people say 10 years, some people say 20 years, depending on the industry you're comparing it to from a, just a pure technology point of view and the use of technology. Um, having been in other industries, maybe you want to talk a little bit about that. Do you feel like that's true? Obviously, there's a learning curve as you learn the clinical environment, but do you also feel like 
Um, there are some technologies and use of technologies that you've been exposed to having been in other industries that you say, hey, we could use a lot of that stuff here. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're 100% right about uh, healthcare is, uh, you know, anywhere from 10 to 20 years behind the curve. And one of the things that is really challenging is cloud adoption. Uh, I see that the cloud adoption is uh, much lower in this industry. You know, I come from fintech and a variety of other industries. And obviously, uh, in those other industries, you know, people understand the benefits and scale and cost uh, benefits of cloud-enabled environments, because in my last job, we were 100% cloud. And then I go into an environment that there's a lot more on-premise equipment. And it's not, you know, people chose to make uh, poor decisions. It's really healthcare as a whole, because this isn't just a value-wise situation. This is with our vendors, because we have uh, so many of our, our vendors are really holding our industry behind, because at ValueWise, we try to do our best to be a forward-leaning organization, but it's really our vendors uh, that really kind of pull us back. And we would like to be more aggressive with how we want to implement technologies to provide big, uh, better patient care. But the reality is that our vendors are really kind of slowing us down, unfortunately. Well, what can be done about that? You know, so it, it's interesting, the relationship between um, a customer and a vendor. Sometimes, uh, a lot of times, the customer has more power in the relationship because they could go somewhere else. But sometimes, mm -hmm. especially in the case of EHR vendors where you have a couple, they have tremendous power. They have more power than the customer. So as you mentioned, you're kind of yelling into the wind. I forget the proper analogy, but... Um, you're not able to get your voice heard or get the, the response you want because you're a little, even though you're a big health system, you're still a little piece. So we are. How, do you, how do you manage that as someone who feels perhaps some uh, frustration? Who's, do you make phone calls? you talk to your reps? Do you, how does that work? Well, we've made a lot of significant efforts to partner with our vendors. And so, you know, we try to jointly work with them, but we also know that it takes a village. And one of the things I've noticed about healthcare is this is an industry that needs to be disrupted. Mm. And so if we look at fintech, you know, we have all these mobile banking apps left and right uh, or insurance industry. We have not seen major disruption from a healthcare perspective. And I think that this industry is ripe for a lot of new startups and companies to come disrupt it because I don't think we're ever going to move these big organizations you know, there's huge companies out there that won't give us the time of day because we're such a small organization. But I feel that it's going to take an army of startups that's going to start to change this industry. Do you, so some of the defense you would hear of, of why the industry is where it is, it's they're dealing with lives. They have to be very risk averse with trying new things. Um, you're not buying any of that? Well, I, there's a lot of truth to that. However, there's a flip side of it too, that our patients are demanding more. They wanna have um, healthcare on their mobile phone mm -hmm. and they want better technologies. And so our patients want better healthcare and we wanna deliver better healthcare. But unfortunately we feel like we're being held back too because 
a lot of times that we might have an older system and our older systems don't have a very good product upgrade path. And if you really want to fix a problem, well, it's going to be a huge uh, capital outlay to buy a new piece of equipment. It could be an MRI or a CAT scan machine. And versus, I wish there was a better product path uh, from a product lifecycle perspective that it requires major upgrades. And if we think about other industries, if it's you know a piece of Cisco equipment or gear, or Palo Alto Networks, you know, there's an upgrade path. They, I could keep patching this. I could keep upgrading. Mm -hmm. I could keep improving it to have a decent life cycle versus, well, if you really want to fix it, you're going to have to throw it away and go get a new system. Yeah, so you're not seeing in, in some of your key vendors, you're not seeing the upgrade path that you would like to, to, to get the features that you want to give to your users. So you go to the, the vendor, you see what they're doing, and you say, hey, my users, uh, they want to be able to do this, this, and this. What's your plan for that? And they say, well, it's not in the plan right now. And that's kind of the end of their communication back on that. Yeah, because uh, some of the discussions we've had, I've been really surprised that I, I'm really kind of being forced on an upgrade path. Uh, if you want these new features and new capabilities, well, you're going to have to buy this brand new system versus I wish there was a more uh, refined product development lifecycle of that equipment. And I think that there's just maybe a little short-sighted versus mm -hmm. other vendors out there that do a better job with product lifecycle management. And you're certainly not the only uh, executive I've heard express this frustration. Um, I've heard from others that uh, if they don't see it, if they're not getting the response they want, they may just spend the money and do it, uh, create it, build it, uh, even, and then and then I've even heard people say we'll build it and then we'll back it out if if and when the vendor comes out within their own product. So it's a waste of money, but they're they're then able at least to provide that functionality to their user in a short period of time or when they want to do it. Does is that something that resonates with you, that concept? Well, it would be nice to do that. And I think that we've been in some circumstances that we've been able to improvise on shortcomings, uh, but it's very limited in what mm -hmm. we can do. Right, and and right. You know, especially when you're a safety net hospital, you don't get a lot of uh, <laughs> budget right. uh, discretion. Right, right, right. So you're looking for disruption. You're hoping that that that's, that's what happens. New entrants come into the market and disrupt the established vendors, give them a wake-up call. But health systems would have to vote with their dollars and have to embrace some of these new systems. But the problem is the real issues are with vendors you probably can't get away from, right? Because even if you use some of these ancillary new things that come up, you're not thinking of any of these replacing like a core EHR ERP vendor, are you? Well, you know what, it, because, uh, you know, obviously a startup isn't going to come along and come up with a new MRI machine. Mm -hmm. However, they could look at that machine and is there a way to gut the electronics out of this thing and use some of these new technologies that are readily available to extend the life of that existing equipment? And so essentially going in and modifying a piece of equipment and being able to deliver greater capabilities and um, updated features and data gathering and being able to aggregate that information. And so it's almost kind of like you see these um, aging executive jets. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't just throw the jet away. 
they go in there and they upgrade all the avionics on that jet. Mm -hmm. You know, they upgrade the interior to the avionics. And so the same could apply to healthcare that we can have one of these smaller companies come in and essentially retrofit an MRI machine or an X-ray machine to extend the life of it. So we don't have to throw this thing away and get something brand new. Right, right. Um, you mentioned cloud. That's obviously uh, something you're passionate about. Um, any other uh, technologies come to mind that, that you think uh, could get a little more play in healthcare and help bring the industry along a little bit? Well, we're seeing huge demand with uh, mobile devices. Mm -hmm. And so especially, you know, we've been doing a lot of uh, remote um, uh, patient care with mobile devices. Uh, people want healthcare in their hands. They want it to be very mobile. They want to be able to uh, look at their electronic health records. They want to be able to look at their x-rays and how can we put that in the palm of their hands. And so we're seeing a huge demand for that. And also being able to integrate uh, the experience as well that we might have a patient go into a variety of different departments. We want to make sure that we're aggregating all this information, whether it's an x-ray or a blood panel and being able to have that information in their hands. And if they need to go somewhere else and go see a specialist that we make that as seamless as possible for them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very good. Um, in your LinkedIn profile, you talked a little bit about business continuity and disaster recovery. Uh, and I was curious to you, I was thinking about your know, business continuity is a large enterprise wide issue. One component of that could be business continuity related to IT security. You could have a ransomware event, something like that, that requires the organization to stop using its electronic medical record and go back to paper. That's a business continuity issue. But again, one sliver of many different business continuity issues. So tell me about how, as a CISO, you, the key people you work with in your organization uh, on business continuity and how you do uh, sort of play out scenarios for, you know, the, the idea of going to paper and back to me is extremely, must be extremely complex if that ever has to happen, because you have to have IT working very closely with operations and clinical folks uh, very closely for that to go one way and then back. So just give me your thoughts on how, you, how you're looking at that. Well, right now we're actually going through a business continuity challenge right now. Uh, we're one of the healthcare organizations that has been impacted by the Kronos um, mm -hmm. ransomware attack. And so we're actually living that right now. And so we have a daily incident command. And so uh, our CIO has done an amazing job spearheading that effort and trying to uh, keep us on track because this wasn't just about payroll. Uh, it broke a lot of processes for us, and especially in my department, because it's how we provision people, getting them onboarded and also offboarded, and being able to track people's uh, time off to being able to do year-end W-2s. And so this was a very disruptive event. And so we've been having these daily incident command calls to being able to get all of our ducks in a row because we have gone from an automated process to now we're having to use Excel spreadsheets and being able to create um, time card uh, stamp systems of people be, being able to go into a website and clock in and clock out. And so we had to build our own infrastructure. And so our uh, you know applications team did a great job pulling that together. But yeah, we're actually living it right now. And so it's been very disruptive, but our CIO has done an amazing job 
uh, getting us through this uh, challenging time. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. How do you think that the Kronos situation is, in what ways is it similar, in what ways is it different than a ransomware attack? Well, they were impacted by a ransomware event, and that's what they publicly shared. And they also shared that their backups were also impacted on that. And so uh, while we have the cloud uh, option that we're using, we're not using the on-premise, um, we have it so integrated with our business processes uh, throughout our organization. And that's what became such a disruptive event. And that went so far beyond just the payroll system. Yeah, I guess maybe a better question would have been, um, it's sort of you're, you're affected uh, as, in, as a third party uh, from the ransomware. It wasn't a ran direct ransomware attack on your organization where you're dealing directly with the FBI, correct? Well, th this is the side effect of relying on a third party vendor right. that had right. a huge impact on us. And so, you know, yeah, th this was a... Uh, you know, a wake-up call for us because now uh, we recognize that, and, and we're fully cognizant because we have an emergency response team, and you know, we're ready for disasters. Uh, but this one really, uh, this was a real punch in the gut for us, and it's a, a real eye-opener because I think that we uh, recognize that there's opportunities for improvement to look at some of our other big vendors to make sure that we're ready. And some of them, you know, we've already done a lot of drills, but I think that there's other vendors that we probably could have done a better job with, of, uh, you know, doing more exercises and drills to make sure that we're ready because a third party vendor really, really got us off guard there. Yeah, that's a, that's a huge issue uh, for health systems is a third party vendor issue. And I, I've talked to people and they talk about um, getting a better process of onboarding the vendors, uh, more than just a questionnaire that somebody fires off, it comes back, who knows how closely it's reviewed. Maybe somebody's just checking, okay, we got the questionnaire back. Um, I don't know to what degree things are checked. Um, and then there's the issue of some people say, okay, now we have a good system for checking new vendors, but I can't go back and check the hundreds. You know, anybody knew we got a nice system, but I can't go back. I don't have the time to go back and check a hundred vendors. Um, and you can't just check the big ones because sometimes it's the small ones that are going to get you because they have fewer controls because they're smaller. So it's, right. it's a, it's a big issue. What are your thoughts on how you're going to go about uh, trying to get a better feel for having your arms around this? Well, uh, as you pointed out, uh, you know, for any time we have new vendors, we have a very robust IT security assessment process. And I would say half the time, uh, vendors do a great job getting back to us with the right information that we need. And 50% of the time, they don't know what the heck we're talking about. <laughs> and, and those are the ones that we make recommendations of, maybe you might want to look at somebody else. And so, uh -huh. uh, you know, we try to help guide that process. But the reality is that when it comes to our previous vendors, you know, we already have agreements already locked into place. Yeah. Uh, I think this Kronos really opened our eyes, especially mine, uh, that we have to go back and really look at some of our bigger vendors and, you know, making sure that we have uh, better processes in place in case another one of our vendors happens to get hit by a ransomware attack. You know, you mentioned possibly suggesting that some of the business owners maybe look at another vendor. If, if you're not liking what you see, when when it comes to the security assessment um 
do you have you found that uh, that that process has become easier uh with all the breaches that there's some upside in that for people get it now so if you say hey this isn't going to work out uh, oh yeah i did hear about that breach that took down a health system for two months as opposed to maybe two years ago it was this is the people we want to work with. Stop standing in our way and impeding business. <laughs> and go away, Mr. Security IT person. You know, you're so right on that, Anthony. And so, yeah, you know, I think we've all seen a little bit of that, you know, that, you know, it's already been approved. We got the money, you know, get out of the way, just right. check your bonuses and move on. And, uh, but I think that uh, because we see so many healthcare systems, unfortunately being impacted by so many cyber attacks that I think people are slowing down and respecting what we're saying versus maybe you know, a little while ago, you know, it may have been taken a little bit lighter, but mm -hmm. now it's being taken a little bit more seriously. Do you, you know, I hear a lot that you, you don't, you're not going to be the party of no, and you don't want to impede business. You want to help everyone do what they need to do and just make sure security is taken care of, but you want to be an enabler. Is that how you look at it? Well, yeah, I, I feel like I try to run IT security almost like a, an advisory mm. organization. And so we're there to advise and inform. And so you know, I'm not going to be able to, you know, supersede an EVP that has dead set on purchasing something. But what I can do is inform them and educate them and let them know about the risk of something. And then it's really up for the executive leadership team to decide if they are willing to accept that risk or if they want to mitigate that risk or if they want to use insurance or if they want to add on some controls to it. And so that's how we holistically look at risk. And and your appraisal could be could range from, well, this isn't the best in the world to you have to be crazy to do to go forward with this. And I'm not saying you would use those words, but I'm guessing in your evaluation, you could be at two ends of the spectrum. And I, I'm imagining the red flashing red end you've seen from time to time and had to deliver from time to time, which is you absolutely would have to be crazy to do this. Yeah, so what we do is we give a recommendation. And so we'll either recommend to, uh, you know, maybe look at somebody else or recommend that they're fine and we can manage this risk. And so uh, we had one a couple of months ago and they uh, respected what we said. And so uh, now they're looking at a different vendor, which so is you don't really you don't like to go with the hyperbole. You stay calm and measured. Uh, or I'll lose credibility. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just having a good time with you. I'm having, guys, yeah, stop. Yeah, you yeah, can't yeah. do this. No, we don't. We, we I, don't. I, I die on the hill for other battles. So. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Very good. Um, you wrote in your LinkedIn profile that you do the, and I'll quote you here, hard work to, to, to change and transform global enterprises to maintain digital competitiveness. Um, I'm guessing the hard work has something to do with people. Usually everybody in IT says this executive IT says uh, it's the people. It's not, not that that's hard, but that's where the work is. It's building the relationships to, to, to be able to be effective. It's not about technology. So is that what you mean by the hard work? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and it really comes down to leadership effectiveness and also being able to, um, I consider uh, a high-performing organization. And what I mean by that is it really comes down to good stewardship 
of your systems. And I've seen a direct correlation that organization that has a, a very well-disciplined leadership team and are very good stewards of their environment have very good business outcomes. And I know you've seen the data points as well uh, versus an organization that wants to run loose and fast and you know just slap it in and get it going uh, because there's a lot of downstream impact and effects with that. And so we get our hands very dirty. We do very difficult, tedious work that most people wouldn't wanna do but it's how we make our organization better because when you start to do it over here, it starts to permeate in other parts of the organization. And what we're really trying to strive for is very good stewardship of our systems. And so this way we have better agility and being able to be more competitive with our peer uh, organizations out there, but also making us more efficient at what we do. Because if you have really sloppy IT, you're not going to have very good uh, business outcomes. You're always going to be in firefighter mode. And I'd rather be in proactive mode where we have options versus lousy options. Well, you gave me just a perfect segue as if we had written it to firefighter mode. You know what I'm going to say. You're wildlands firefighter. Tell me about that. Yeah, you know, it, it just, uh, we have a ranch in Colorado and it started uh, being a volunteer with a couple of fires and, you know, that second fire that uh, took down a lot of acreage uh, made me realize that I'm really putting myself in insane risk and, and I need to get some professional help. And so that's when I got lucky, joined a local fire department, got federal training as a wildland firefighter. And this was during the Heyman fire era in Colorado. And so from there, I uh, ended up becoming a state certified firefighter and hazmat person. And so while working full-time at HP, and so uh, it was an interesting lifestyle, but I think that uh, IT was going to pay the bills, not the firefighting bills uh, as a volunteer. <laughs> so so you kind of so you were fighting fires initially without training. And you, you said this is a tad bit risk. You brought your CISO risk assessment hat to your <laughs> firefighting activities and said, this is no good. Yeah, and a little bit of wife factor too. You know, like what, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? Right. So then you got trained, and you obviously we we just heard about some fires in Colorado, but you're not you're not there anymore, correct? No, no, no. And I've got now the fire service too. You know, okay. it, it's a young man's job. Yeah. But uh, you know, it was a great life experience for me, and it's just kind of funny where you know I might not be physically fighting fire, but I really fight fire from a virtual perspective in the cyber world and it's a daily cyber fight and it's a uh, it, it's getting harder and harder you know a lot of CISOs out there are getting burned out uh, mm -hmm. from this position because things uh, just keep getting harder and harder uh, every week you know we're experiencing cybersecurity incidents uh, just at a whole different degree and, and I've never seen this kind of activity of the past and so the activity is just keeps increasing and getting harder. And I think long-term, I do have some concerns about uh, people wanting to stay in cybersecurity on the, uh, for the long haul, because, mm -hmm. you know, it's becoming kind of a burnout job. Yeah. I mean, it totally makes sense to me why it would be a burnout job, especially at your level. It would seem to me a 24 hour uh, operation, at least that you were, you could be contacted if it escalates. I assume you have processes where you try not to let 
everything escalate to you getting a call at 3 a.m., maybe something extreme. But how do you keep it from being a 24-7 job? Well, unfortunately, it is. And right. uh, but we try to take a lot of proactive measures. And so we try to do things um, that we do a lot of scenario uh, analysis of this, what if this happened, what if that happened? Mm -hmm. And we dedicate time every single week of being able to challenge ourselves of what are we not paying attention at? You know, what do we need to be doing better at? And when you look at uh, people that are high performers, they always challenge each other. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, how can you be better? How can I be better? And we challenge each other and I've created a safe work environment where I allow my staff to tell me that hey boss you're not doing this right yeah. it, it's okay and there's no yeah. consequences but that's how we raise the bar on each other to deal with this because it's how we're getting better at this job and that's another sentiment that i've heard which is if you have to cultivate that environment where people will speak up uh if you if you sort of shut them down too quickly or you're dismissive you're going to lose out because you're not going to get that feedback you need. You're going to miss something. Makes sense, right? I will. Yeah. 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 No, you're totally right, Anthony. Uh, why don't you give me a final thought uh, before we go? A uh, piece of advice for, you know, we all have unique experiences and we can all offer something. So, your best piece of advice for your CISO colleagues? You know, it comes down to uh, being able to maintain the respect and credibility in an organization and effectiveness. And, you know, I always challenge myself. I'm my own worst critic and I'm always finding ways to self-improve. And I always feel like I'm a work in progress all the time. And I think it's so important to be humble. You know, yeah, we're in demand right now, but not to be arrogant about that demand, but to be wise about what we're trying to do and accomplish because I look at the greater goal and that is I'm trying to protect our patients, our employees, our contractors, our vendors. You know, this is an ecosystem that I want to protect as best as I possibly can. And I have to be humble enough to accept feedback, even if I don't like it, that this is how it makes me more effective as a leader. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really good point because uh, healthcare seizures especially are probably in such high demand and getting calls from headhunters, and but that humility, it's a good time to be humble, right? And not let not let things go to one's head. Whenever we're riding high, that's when uh, we can lose our humility, and uh, so it's a good it's a good reminder. So appreciate that, Todd. I want to thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate our chat. Thank you so much. Thank you.